so in property we're talking about land use and restrictions are made to limit how landowners may use their property that's what land use is uh, traditionally landowners could use their property however they wanted but as time passed recognizing some policy needs land use was restricted and now we're going to be talking about how some of those restrictions are made uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about private land use easements, focusing on those easements. And the outline of this episode is going to be listing off the easements, talking about some necessary definitions. We're going to talk about how to create those easements that we mentioned. We're going to talk about interpreting express easements, which we'll talk about, and then how to terminate easements. As you know from previous episode. An easement is a limitation on what you can do with the property. And here we're getting more into depth about what kind of easements exist and how they work. So let's go ahead and talk about some of these definitions. Well, an easement gives a non-possessor a piece of land to use that land for a variety of reasons. So notice that there are two elements of this. It's a non-possessor, meaning they don't have ownership, but they can use that land for certain reasons, depending on the easement. So there are five main types of easements. You have a prescriptive easement, an implied easement by prior existing use. You have an easement by necessity. You have an express or a grant easement. That's the most common. That's the one you should go for. And you have an easement by estoppel. So of these five, as I mentioned, the express easement is the only type of easement that is agreed between the parties involved. All these other easements, prescriptive, implied, necessity, and estoppel, are going to be imposed on a property owner without their permission as a matter of law. So let's talk about some of these definitions before we talk about how to create these easements. Definitions that are important to note is the dominant tenant, tenant. This is going to be the land that is benefited by the easement. We have the servient tenement, which is the land burdened by the easement. We have the dominant owner, which is the easement owner, or the owner of the dominant tenement. We have the servient owner, which is the owner of the servient tenement. We have, forgive me, appurtenant easement, which is an easement owner that uses the land. This is going to be the most implied. We have an easement in gross, which is not connected to the owner's use, but is personal. We have an affirmative easement, which is allows the holder of the easement to use the land. Again, this is going to be most applied. And for example, it, affirmative easement would be you put an easement on the land to pass through that land. You're using it for a specific purpose. And then you have a negative easement, which prevents a servient from using land. So saying you can't build a fence on that land. That would be a good example there. Let's talk about creating easements. Let's start with express, the easy one. An express easement may be allowed by either grant or reservation. A grant easement is when the servient owner is going to grant an easement to the dominant owner. So landowner says, I'm going to give you an easement. So the original landowner, servient owner, the one who's allowed to use 
is the dominant owner. A reservation easement is when the dominant owner conveys some land to another but reserves an easement for continued use. So a good example of this, landowner has two properties. He splits it in half, sells the neighboring property. But there's a road on the other side, and so he needs to pass through that road, pass through the property he sells to get to his property. In that instance, he would reserve an easement for him to pass through that property he had already sold so that he can continue to use that land. To create an express easement, uh, it must be in writing that first identifies the parties, describes the land parcels that are involved, describes the location of the easement on the servient land, and then states the purpose of the easement. I think a good summary of uh, this rule is outlined in Millbrook Hunk, Inc. versus Smith, where it says an easement implies an interest in land ordinarily created by grant and is permanent in nature. A license does not imply an interest in land, but is a mere personal privilege to commit some act or series of acts on the land of another without possessing any state therein. What this quote is pretty much saying is saying the difference of a license and an easement. A license is you're permitted to use the land. But an easement is actually an interest in the land. You have some right to use that land more than just a license. Let's talk about some of the elements for an implied easement by prior existing use. The elements simply say, uh, first, that there must be severance by a title of a common owner. So in our previous example, we had one owner uh, who has parcel A and parcel B, well, rather, let's just say parcel A, and then he splits it in half, and now there's parcel A and parcel B. Second element is apparent existing and continued use of easement prior to severance. So, landowner has parcel A and parcel B. You put, a landowner typically goes through parcel B to reach parcel A, and now he sells parcel B, and now that severance, you still need to use that road through parcel B to make it to parcel A. And then three is necessity at the time of severance. So you need to use that road. There's no other way to get to parcel A. And the purpose of this easement was just to support the intent of the owner who actually severed the property. Uh, the point of the doctrine is to either repair a mistake at the time of separation and two, to just keep that, yeah, just, I guess mistake is the only reason. So it's going to be pretty limited as far as how you can use it. Ultimately, a big key takeaway is that severance and the easement needs to exist at the time of severance. Easement by necessity right, kind of only has two elements. It's severance to title of the land in common ownership. So that's uh, owner taking land A and splitting it into land A and B. And then necessity of the easement at the time of severance. A good example of an easement by necessity is going to be a landlocked parcel. But the only way to get through would be to go through another person's parcel. And the policy reasons for this is just to be practical. You want to make the 
landowners have good access to the land so that they can actually use the land to benefit others. Additionally, we have a prescriptive easement and how to create this is very similar to the elements of maintaining adverse possession of the property. Uh, your easement needs to be open and notorious, adverse and hostile, continuous, and it needs to be done for a statutory period of time. It does take out one of those elements, and that's specifically the exclusive element. Uh, another takeaway is that the party requesting the easement must show that they actually meet the elements, so the party requesting has the burden to prove that they have adverse possession of the easement. And that is the, I believe, the prescriptive yeah, easement. Finally, the last easement, how to create it, is the irrevocable license. This is a situation where you're relying on somebody else, relying on a promise. It should have been expressed, but it wasn't. And as a result, you make yourself subject to them. The elements of the irrevocable license easement is going to be, one, the landowner uses, allows another to use the land. Second, the new owner uses the land in good faith that the license, by making improvements to that land, is doing so at their cost. And third, the landowner reasonably knows that such a reliance would occur. These easements, however, only last as long as the anticipated reliance occurs. The case that we had here, uh, the reliance was expected to last for 50 years. So after 50 years, that reliance was going to expire. And with that reliance, so would the easement. What about interpreting express easements? This is the next section that I want to go ahead and talk about. But easements can vary as time passes. Uh, definitions change, technology develops, and so there is a rule for how these can change as time continues to change. So according to the restatement third of property, the manner, frequency, and intensity of an easement can change over time as long as the purpose, the original purpose, does not change. So, for example, uh, say that the original purpose was to install power lines and you want to update those power lines, you can go ahead and update power lines uh, with the continuing development of technology. But you can't go ahead and add in additional things even though it's similar to what the power line might be. The reason why this is such a big deal is because the courts actually want to protect both the property rights, the right to exclude, um, but they also want to ensure that they find a good balance between the right to use. Um, given the choice, the courts are going to lead more towards the right to exclude, giving property owners more rights, but there is that cost-benefit analysis that the courts are going to use. Our final section that I want to talk about is about terminating easements. How does an easement end? Well, one way that it can end is abandonment. An easement is abandoned when there is no termination date. 
and when the owner takes some action that is going to be inconsistent with continued use. Uh, so, for example, the case that we had, uh, there was a railroad that used to pass through a certain area, and then eventually that railroad was removed, and that property uh, was ended up used as a walkway, like a hiking path. And so the presalts in this case are arguing, you abandon this because you're no longer using it as a railroad. Uh, the United States in this instance was arguing, well, it is still a railroad because it's still being used to transport people, even though its main purpose was originally transportation. Now it's just a different transportation. But the actions were too much to actually make it inconsistent to make it inconsistent with continued use, and so it ended up being abandoned. A good way to put this test, we could do it as an equation, where you have first non-use, and then the intent to abandon, which are those inconsistent actions, and that is going to equal abandonment. Non-use plus intent to abandon. There are other ways easements may be terminated. That's uh, by prescription. Uh, you can adversely reclaim the land. They can terminate by term. It's just going to expire. There's going to be condemnation of the servient land. That's going to be eminent domain. We'll get to that in future episodes. There's estoppel, and that's going to be reliance that it was terminated. You have a merger where a new owner has possession of both the easement and the servient land. So new owner, going back to our hypothetical, owner A, owner B, Owner A buys out owner B, and so now owner A owns parcel A and parcel B, which then that easement would no longer be necessary. It's part of his ownership. Uh, misuse is another way to terminate. And then finally, release, which is where the parties agreed to no longer have the easement, and that's got to be done, meeting these statute of frauds elements as well. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't our pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice, and with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.